0: I love to hear those times that I call God incidents. and you know, we say coincidence. But it's awesome when we hear something that really without a doubt is God incidents. God's up to something. And that's what we long for. That's what we want to see. I, I had a great time Wednesday night. We're having a great time with the study. I encourage you to come if you haven't been out. It's been a real blessing. Um and, of course, uh, there's a lot of stuff going on with uh, youth, too. And we're just blessed. And, uh, you know, I, I told you one of the things I love is just to encourage people. I don't know if they make pom poms for preachers. That might look silly. But, yeah, go, go, guys, go. So uh, I was blessed and encouraged you to be a part of this Wednesday. And also, this is the last message in this series uh, on handling life's problems. Today, I, I want to talk about. The problem of discouragement. We've all been there. And next week, I want to start a new series on the church. April 17th, Roger Roller is coming in here to lead us in revival, to be refreshed of the Lord. And uh, we all need that. We just lose the passion and the fire. And and so I you know, I got to think about as Lori saying, I thought, you know, when God gets a hold of us, we're forgiven up, freed up, and the results fired up is what happens in us. And when we're not there, it means we we need to be renewed. And and, and that's what we we want to look at in this series and to prepare our hearts for when Brother Roger comes and encourage you just to be in, in prayer there. And okay, enough commercials, let me move into the message here. We are in Nehemiah chapter four this morning as we are going to look at the issue of discouragement in context of Nehemiah. I want to start at verse eight and read through the end of the chapter. So I encourage you to stand when you find that text, Nehemiah. Chapter four. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, The strength of the laborers is giving out, and there's so much rubble, we cannot rebuild the wall. Also, our enemies said, Before they know it or see us, we'll be right there among them and kill them and put an end to the work. Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times over, Wherever you turn, they will attack us. Therefore I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to his own work. From that day on, half my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. And each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. But the men who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. Then I said to the nobles, officials, and the rest of the people, The work is extensive and spread out, and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. So we continued the work with half the men holding spears from the first light of dawn till the stars came out. At that time, I also said to the people, Have every man and his helpers stay inside Jerusalem at night, so they can serve us as guards by night and workmen by day. Neither I nor my brothers nor my men nor the guards with me took off our clothes. Each had his weapon even when he went Let's pray. God, thank you for allowing us to be here. Father, I thank you for A.J. and for Mark. Father, they've already preached a powerful message by being here. Father, by entering the water, Lord. Thank You for that, God. We can't get enough of that, Lord. I pray, Father, that You bring more, God. (laughs) Just speak to us, Lord. Minister to us. Father, use us uh, as Your hands and feet in any way, Father, to let people know You love them, Lord. (laughs) Uh, I pray uh, as I seek to bring this message that Your Spirit might be evident, Lord. We need to hear from you, not some guy rambling. So Holy Spirit, we just invite you, Lord, into this message. Uh, Father, may we hear from you. In your name we pray. Amen. The story was told of a young mom with five small kids. Talk about an exhausting job. I remember one time I saw this documentary on TV. It was a lady who had had, uh, six kids at one time. was it six tuplets? That's the right word. And man, these guys, it showed them two or three years later when they were toddlers. They worked together to take a door off its hinges. And I thought, man, what a job! But anyway, uh, this mom, she was exhausted watching her five kids. So she sat down and before you knew it, she fell asleep. And as she was sleeping... uh, she she's having this great dream. And anyway, she woke up and she said, oh, the kids! And so she, she jumped up and, and she went into the living room and they were all sitting in, the, sitting in the floor in a circle. And she thought, wow, I'm glad everything's great. So she walked closer and when she looked in the circle, she saw that all five of her kids were sitting in the floor. Each one was holding a skunk. And so what did she do? She screamed, ah! And so what did her kids do? She goes, children, run, children, run. They jumped up. Each one continued to hold on to their personal skunk and ran into a separate room. And so she just kept on screaming. And as the writer of this uh, story said, uh, then the kids, because they were frightened, squeezed the skunks. And skunks don't like to be squeezed. (laughs) A discouraged mom But we all know what it's like at times to face the obstacle of discouragement. To feel like there's just no way. There's no hope. All is lost. And and I want to look at Nehemiah this morning. Um, You start out, we meet this guy Nehemiah and it it tells us that he's in a different land. There's a number of the people that have been taken out of Jerusalem. and He's in a foreign place and he's serving a king And he asks about his homeland. He asks about Jerusalem. He says, how are the people back home? And here's the word that he receives. This is Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 3. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. Look at his response. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Man, He was burdened. He had a heart for His home. The people were distressed. The walls were burned down and the people were scattered. And He was broken and He just started to weep and He started to fast and basically said, God, what can I do, Lord? What are You calling me to do? How can I help these people that I love? How can I help the people back home? <laughs> and in the last verse of chapter 1, he says, I was cupbearer to the king. In other words, he had an important role. He had an important job where he served in, in this other kingdom. He was the guy that, that tasted the wine for the king. You know, it could be a tough job if you drop dead. The king knows not to drink the wine. But it's also a valued position and so he had prayed and he come boldly before the king and he poured out his heart and he said, Oh, gracious king, my, my people are in trouble and, and I want to go back and I want to help them and I want to rebuild the wall. He just poured out his heart to the king. And it's great as you read in chapter 2, the king heard him and the king agreed <laughs> and he sent him with supplies and he sent him with what he needed to get the job done. That was chapter 2. Um, He ends up coming. He ends up meeting the people. And and it's great because he gets some of the leaders and they're discouraged. They're broken down. And he comes before them. And and as he stands before them, he shares his heart. Uh, Look at 2 verse 17. He says, Then I said to them, You see the trouble we're in? Jerusalem lies in ruins. Its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let's rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace said, I also told them about the gracious hand of my God upon me and and what the king had said to me. And they replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. God called Nehemiah back home. God called him to do this work. And he encouraged the people there in chapter three, talks about some of the work. But as we come to chapter four, which is where I want to camp this morning, we see the the criticism that's faced (laughs) We see the discouragement as it abounded. Sometimes it came from places you didn't expect it to come from. And and we want to look at that this morning. Uh, So let's drop down. I want to first look at verse 10 to see a place you wouldn't expect discouragement necessarily to come from. Uh, Verse 10 of chapter 4. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out and there's so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. This came from the people of Judah. Now, who were the people of Judah? Turn with me uh, to Genesis chapter 49. And I want to just look at a couple of verses uh, briefly. This is a section of Scripture where Jacob is breathing his last and and he brings in his sons which are of the, you know, become the twelve tribes of Israel. and, and, And he shares with them, and there's a special word that is given in regard to Jacob. Starting at verse 8 of uh, Genesis 49. Judah, your brothers will praise you. Your hands will be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons will bow down to you. You are a lion's cub, O Judah. You return from the prey, my son, like a lion. He crouches and lies down like a lioness who dares to rouse him. He says, you're you're going to be in a place of authority, Judah. Judah. You're going to be a a place to be respected. You're going to be leaders. And and so I bring out this point, guys, as I think about this. In other words, the discouragement was coming from the leadership there at home, from, from the leadership among the people who had come to rebuild the wall. And, and that's the last place it should come from. The leaders should be the cheerleaders. <laughs> they should be saying, we can do the work. We can move forward. We can go. But in this case, those people that were to be leaders, those people who were to be respected, those people who held a special place, they were not doing that job. They were discouraging others. And then he goes on here, uh, still in Genesis 49, verse 10. He says, the scepter will not depart from Judah nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until he comes to whom it belongs and the obedience of the nations is his. In other words, this is a tribe of rulers and out of that tribe will come the King of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ. And so there was a, a, a special recognition for the people of Judah, a special respect. And, and, and yet, in verse 10 here, as we're back in Nehemiah chapter 4, they were the ones that, that came out and, and basically said, hey, guys, we can't do this. We can't do the job. Then in verse 12, we drop down. And it says, Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. These were also part of the people. <laughs> and and they had heard so often the enemy's taunts that they began to believe it. And and they be, they became... Uh, consumed with just being negative. And it's so easy to become discouraged when you're negative. It just pulls you down. I'll never forget a preacher friend of mine. Uh, uh, this is years ago. and um, you know He's a young preacher at church and there was this lady in the church and she was so negative. And man, he just couldn't stand it. And he said one day he was in the grocery store and he's, he's buying some groceries, and he looks, and there's that woman. And he's like, oh no, she's going to see me, and I don't want to see her. So he's dodging aisles, man. He's, he's jumping around, so she doesn't see him. Why? Because he just didn't want to hear that negativity. It can pull you down. Uh, I love this quote I found. It said, a pessimist can hardly wait for the future so he can look back on it with regret. <laughs> you know? It's that kind of, kind of negativity. Now, I want to look at four reasons here in the Scripture Um, that give us insight into causes for the discouragement in this instance. First, there's a loss of strength. Look again at verse 10. It says, Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, The strength of the laborers is giving out. Um, Giving out, it actually means they're stumbling. They're about to fall under the great load. If you come back to verse 6, it says, So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height for the people worked with all their heart. So when were they discouraged? It was at the halfway point. And I've got to think about how often that occurs. We get discouraged at the halfway point. You're halfway there. And you get discouraged. I thought of a time, I don't know how old I was, I was trying to remember, you know, get so old, I get youngheimers. I won't even say Alzheimer's yet, but I was thinking back and, and there was a group of us, three guys, and we took off from Hendersonville, I, mean, from, you know, I was from here, from North Carolina. I was on my bicycle. It wasn't a 10-speed. It was a one-speed. So, you know, I got on that, and we decided we were going to ride our bikes to Brevard, which was about 25 miles away. And I was about maybe 12. I can remember. Nobody, you know, no adults knew we were doing this. So we took off. We got on one of the... It wasn't an interstate, but a pretty busy road. Man, we're going. It was great at first, but I, we got about halfway, and I thought, what have I done? I'm too tired to get there, and I may be too tired to go home. So I remember turning around, and somehow, through the grace of God, we got back. But at that halfway point, so often it, it happens, and, and they were discouraged at that halfway point. There was a loss of strength. I love the story. i just throw this in here for what it's worth. There was a guy, he'd gone to a party, had too much to drink, and he's, he decided he's going to walk home. He passes through a cemetery, and he's, you know, he's staggering. And he doesn't notice because it's at night that there's an open hole for a grave. And he falls in the hole. And he's down there in the hole and he's trying to get out, but it's the the ground's wet. And, and so, you know, he just slides back down. And finally, he's just so tired. He, he just goes over to a corner and sits down and waits for somebody to find him in the morning. Well, a little bit later, here comes another guy. He's drunk. He's walking through there. He falls in the same hole on the other side. He starts trying to get out and he's clawing his way. He's working. He's sliding back down. Find the other drunk guy. He looks over at him and uh, he says to him, You may as well give up. You'll never get out of here. But he did. A new sense of strength when you hear a voice in a graveyard. But, but it's. His his strength went out. That's number one. Number two, there was a loss of vision. Let's look again at verse 10. He says, The strength of the laborers is giving out, and there's so much rubble, we cannot rebuild the wall. The word literally speaks of dry earth or debris. And what had happened, there was a a loss of vision because what they could see was just all the trash that was laying around, the debris. They, They... lost sight of why they were there they lost sight of the goal of building the wall and, and boy that can happen you know back to the illustration of, of a young mom you know after about 50 or 60 diapers you know, changing them, like this is this is hard have a meltdown and cry because you're exhausted not sleeping at night and, you know facing this continual you know need to be you know and, and, and you get tired and, and you think so often of athletes and musicians that put in hours and hours and hours, and the way they become great is through hours and hours and hours. And, and you know, people don't see that aspect of it. And, and it's easy to lose sight of vision when the work is so great, when there's so much to do. A third reason was a loss of confidence. Uh, notice there the last part of verse 10. He says, we cannot rebuild the wall so that we cannot rebuild the wall. They had, they had lost their sense of confidence. They lost their heart. Their motivation left them. You guys have heard the old saying, I looked it up to try to get it because I had part of it in my mind where the guy says, God put me on this earth to accomplish a certain number of things. Right now I'm so far behind, I will never die. And that is a, a feeling. A feeling, losing the sense of confidence. God, when will this be over? And then fourth, they lost their security. Look at verse 11. Also our enemies said, before they know it or see us, we'll be right there among them and we'll kill them and put an end to the work. See, what they said hey, when you're not looking, when you're not expecting it, we're going to slip in there, no trouble, and just phew, slit your throat. You guys can't stand up to us. And so there was a loss of security among the people and fear began to, to creep up and, and to take over and discouragement set in. And, and, and that happens when fear grabs a hold of us, doesn't it? Now, it doesn't just happen to people who are in sin or not walking with God. God's people get discouraged. Sometimes people who are walking as close to God as they know how can just get discouraged and give up, just lose heart. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, you know, all his preachers quote this guy, he was a man back in another age before the technology that spoke to thousands of people in church in London. And he loved the Lord. But the irony of it is, although he had what we would call a lot of success with big crowds and all that, he stayed depressed most of the time. He battled depression. He always wondered, God, have you given me too big a job to do? Is this too much for me? Because I'm not that good. But yet God had blessed him. I want to read a quote from him to you. He says, Before any great achievement in my life, some measure of depression is not unusual. Who was I that I should lead a great multitude? I dreamed about moving to a solitary nest in the backwoods. <laughs> you ever thought that? Well, if I could just go away from everybody by myself. That's what he's saying. It was just then that the curtain was rising on my life's greatest work, and I dreaded what it might reveal. This depression sweeps over me whenever the Lord is preparing a larger blessing for my life and ministry. So, so what what am I, what am I saying there, guys? He said just before a great blessing was to come, I was so prayer. So maybe that's where you are. Maybe you don't realize it. Maybe you're at a point where you want to give up. Where you're about, but but God's got a blessing right around the corner. Just hold on. It may be there. Maybe there. All right, I've got to move on here uh, quicker. We want to look at uh, some strategies, a plan of action from the chapter, verse thirteen. We see he unified the people around the same goal. Notice what he says: "I stationed the people behind the lowest points of the wall, at the exposed place places, and he said, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and those. What's he saying? He said, at the weakest point, where attack was most likely." I stationed them together. I unified them, and I think it's important here. I just want to make a brief point here. He did it by families, and I, I think that that's significant. He's saying, "I want you to be with the people that you have a relationship with that you love. I want you guys to be together, and I want you to to fight together and to be together and to struggle through this together." What happened? They were everywhere. They were spread out. They were not together, and so they were weak. But when they came together, they were strong. And, and guys, they're strength in family. And this is a great thing here. I know we're low on time, but I, I'll try to make it quick in, in sharing this. There was a guy named John Todd in the early 1800s. Both his parents were killed. He lived in Vermont. And uh, there were several kids, and they were ended up being passed out to different relatives. And John was six years old, and he ended up going to live with an aunt. Um, And a slave, actually, they had slaves in Vermont too, had come to pick him up. And uh, when he did, he came and he put him on a horse and the slave uh, went with him. And there was this conversation that came out of that uh, that John had with the slave. And he said, will she be there? Oh, yes, she'll be there waiting up for you. Well, I like living with her. My son, you fall into good hands. Will she love me? Ah, she's big heart, John. Will I have my own room? Will she let me have a puppy? Yeah. Yeah, she's got everything set, son. I think she has some surprises too. Do you think she'll go to bed before we get there? Oh, no. She'll be sure to wait up for you. You'll see when we get out of these woods, you'll see her candle shining in the window. And so that's what happened. They pulled up to the house and the candle was shining in the window and she came to the door and she said, John, welcome! It's so good to see you! And she embraced him and she took him in and she fed him a great meal and, and then she tucked him in bed and stayed there till he fell asleep. And he said he never got over the fact that she took him in and that she became a mom to him and that she loved him. And he became a preacher of the gospel and God used him. To, to to impact a lot of lives. And at the end of her life she wrote a letter back to John and she said, I'm dying. And and I'm I'm discouraged. And here's what he wrote back to her. This is great, I said He says, My dear aunt, years ago I left a house of death, not knowing where I was to go, whether anyone cared, whether it was the end of me. The ride was long, but the slave encouraged me Finally, He pointed out your candle to me, and there we were in the yard, and you embraced me and took me by the hand into my own room that you'd made up. After all these years, I still can't believe it. How you did all that for me, I was expected. I felt safe in that room, so welcomed. It was my room. Now it's your turn to go. And as one who has tried out, I'm writing to let you know someone's waiting up. Your room's ready. The light's on. The door's open. And as you ride into the yard, don't worry, Annie. You're expected. I know, I once saw God standing in your doorway. Long. To get together with family. And I say this to all you, don't neglect your family. Come together with those God has, has, has crafted into your life and love the Lord together. Come close and, and share that. And, and, and I want you to notice in this verse too that when they did this, the work actually stopped. Sometimes there's a time where the holiest thing you can do is take a nap. Where the work stops and you need to get some rest. Okay, I've got to move on here. Uh, next in verse 14, he directed their attention to the Lord. Look at this, he says, After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles and the rest of the people, Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome. You know, I thought about it, how do you remember the Lord? Well, a couple of things quickly... Um, through the Scripture, that's one reason it's so important to regularly read the Scripture because God speaks through these pages. The Holy Spirit brings these words; uh, life comes and and, and and ministers to us, guys. That's a, that's the way that it that it works. Uh, several verses, uh, Isaiah twenty-six three, in the uh, King James, he says, "Thou wilt keep him in the perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee." So he there's said, there's a chance for peace when I think about my God. And uh, then Philippians four six, uh, many of you guys know, he says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, present your request to God and the peace that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I mean, I can go on, but here's the point. Take God's Word and and, and learn it and, and and God will speak to you. God will reveal Himself to you and, and you'll remember Him. And the second thing is is just... Spend some time alone and think about it. Um, I used to pull these things together when I was a teenager. There was a place in Hendersonville called Jump, up, Jump Off Rock. Never fully understood the story. It, evidently, some Indian brave got killed and the squaw was upset and jumped off the rock. But anyway, I'd go up there. It's great rock. But I would, I don't even think you can do this anymore. I'd walk under the rock and there was a little cave. So cool. I'd go into that little cave and I'd take my Bible. And I'd just read my Bible and pray. And it was an awesome view. I'd look out there. How can you not think of God when He's... All, and we live in an awesome place, don't we? Where you're reminded of God and you, and you see God. And, and, and so remember Him. Uh, third, I'm, I'm getting there. He encouraged them to maintain balance. Notice what He says here the end of 14 and 15. Remember the Lord who's great and awesome. Fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. When our enemies heard, we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all return to the wall, each to His own work. He, he, he speaks here, and, and He talks about the, the importance of balance, to remember the Lord, somewhere to fight. Um, if there's a balance there. We spend time with the Lord, sometimes we work, sometimes we listen. Both are important. Philippians two twelve, the end of it, and verse 13, the contemporary English version, says, So work with fear and trembling to discover what it really means to be saved. God is working in you to make you willing and able to obey Him. So there's a sense of fear and trembling to discover, and there's a sense of working it out. Balance. to both matter. And fourth one here, uh, as I approach the end here, He provided a rallying point. Look at verses 19 and 20. He said, I set the nobles and officials. The work's extensive, spread out. We're widely separated from each other along the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet join us there, our God will fight for us. So even though they were together with families, they were still spread out. He said, when you hear this trumpet, it means we need to come together. Families, not just individual but need to come together we need to come together as a big family we need we need to fight this thing when you hear the trumpet when you hear the rallying point and, and and that's so crucial we as god's people the only thing that can stop the church is the church you know it says in the bible jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against the church the only thing that can stop the church is the church the only thing that stops the work of god is when we block the movement of his spirit in our own lives and 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 so as we see here he, He's saying, guys, when you hear that trumpet, go! When you hear the voice of God, go! That's that's what he's saying. And uh, the importance of that rallying point. Last one here. And I'll be like they say the Pharaoh preacher. God, let your people go. So we'll... Okay. He occupied them in service to others. Last point here I want to make. Look at verse 21. So we continued the work with half the men holding spears from the first light of dawn till the stars came out. And they worked sun up to sun down. They were working. They were serving. They weren't whining. They were working. Verse 23, Neither I nor my brothers nor my men nor the guards with me took off our clothes. Each had his weapon even when he went for water. We didn't have time to change clothes. We had a job to do. We had to do it together. And we stuck to the task. We were serving. Do you know when you get the most discouraged? When your thoughts center on you. What does a discouraged discouraged person think about the most? Himself, herself. Serving others helps it go from in to outward. And and, and that's what he's saying here. And praise God for those people who are serving. I, you know, I can't start naming names of people that impress me, but there are a number of people here who are servants. You know, it was funny. We were talking about in deacons meeting yesterday, you know, the foot washing. And I thought about some of the greatest people, you know, you'd love to wash their feet. They don't want me to wash their feet because they're servants. They don't want me to be noticed. Thank God for those kind of people. I close with this. Uh, I heard John Maxwell... Trace had mentioned John this morning. This is actually from a, one of those tapes I mentioned, and I had written this down. Uh, this deals with servants. It, through the Scriptures, and here's John's words. Moses didn't say, I don't do rivers. Noah didn't say, I don't do arcs. Thank God. Jeremiah didn't say, I don't do weeping. Amos didn't say, I don't do speeches. Rahab didn't say, I don't do carpets. Ruth didn't say, I don't do mother-in-laws. David didn't say, I don't do giants. Mary didn't say, I don't do virgin births. Mary Magdalene didn't say, I don't do feet. John didn't say, I don't do deserts. Peter didn't say, I don't do Gentiles. Paul didn't say, I don't do letters. And Jesus didn't say, I don't do crops. And, and the servants. Let's pray. Lord, uh, Thank You for encouraging us, Father, even in the midst of discouragement. Thank You as we've taken time to unravel this wonderful chapter of Scripture, how You encourage those who were discouraged and how You use Nehemiah. Uh, God, pray, raise up Nehemiah among us, Lord, that we may lift one another up and that we may remember You, the Lord, and not the rubbish. God, I don't know what You're up to. I'm, I'm grateful... Uh, to be a part of baptism this morning, maybe somebody else is here today and is ready to bow his or her heart to Jesus and to say, I I need to be forgiven. I need to be freed. I I need you, Lord. Well, what a great time to celebrate that, to just bow the heart and say, forgive me, Jesus. Enter my heart. Make me in you. And uh, if you do that and you're honest before Him, your own words, uh, He forgives you. Um, God, I such one, come to the altar. Let me pray with you. Just share with God's people. Come here if you're discouraged to pray at an open altar. God, just work. And we love you, and in this time we sing, we expect you. In your name we pray.